Would you stand with me in reverence for the reading of the Holy Scriptures? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. No, I'm just kidding. You just did a lot of standing up and sitting down. And I thought, man, for a church that is not very liturgical, that's a lot of, like, liturgical type stuff. Um, hi, good morning. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of something clever to say, but it's just not coming. Um, my name is Josh. In case I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here. Great to see you all. Um, great to not, well, great to have you, those of you who are joining online. Um, and I really, I think we don't say this enough, but it's amazing, like, the things that you could be doing on your Sunday morning, but you're here. And I just want to say, I, re- <laughs> I really appreciate that. That's like, that's God working right there that gets me out of, out, of, out of bed on a Sunday morning and brings me here instead of somewhere else. So, um, yeah, great to have you guys. Now, <clears throat> I would like to ask you guys to indulge me for just a minute. Here, I'm going to move this. Well, indulge me for this moving of the microphone. But also indulge me in taking a trip down memory lane. The year is 1999. There's no pandemic. There's no recession of the 21st century. There's no 9-11. The world is just quiet, I guess you could say, maybe. 1999, and then a bombshell goes off. It was called The Matrix. Do you guys remember this movie? I was, I was 15 years old when The Matrix came out, and I, I grew up, like, I was way out in the boondocks, and because I was 15, I couldn't drive. I had to ride the bus in, but the bus got me to school like an hour early, and my friend Rob, who lived, he lived far away from me, but also far away from school, too, so he had to ride the bus, a different bus, and he also got there early, but I remember him uh, just in the hall. He's like, Josh, I saw this movie. It will change your life. You've got to see it. So I went and saw it with him. And then I went and saw it with another person. And I went and saw it with another person. And uh, I don't know how I did that because I was 15 and it was rated R. But I got into the theater like four times to watch this movie. And if you, I know I'm totally dating myself and probably only appealing to like one segment of, of the population who cares about this movie. So the main premise of the movie right, is that human beings, what we experience as reality is not actually real. It's a computer program that's plugged into our brain by the machines, like there's these machines that have harvested human beings and like have them cocooned in these little eggs where they're given enough nutrients to get them, to keep them alive so that they produce energy for the machines, but they're totally pacified and unconscious, believing that they're having a real existence when they're not, right? That's that's the main premise of, of The Matrix. And afterwards, I don't know if any of you were like, when anything weird would happen with life, you'd be like, are we living in The Matrix? Is it really true? Are we in The Matrix? And we can joke and scoff about that. It's silly now. But that philosophy of life, that <clears throat> what we are experiencing is not, is not actually real. There's some other reality underneath what's going on. And this is all sort of a dream. That is an awake and alive understanding of reality. Most forms of Buddhism and Hinduism believe that about the world. And apparently, at least for one moment, 
I can't remember the guy's name, but the writer for Sticks, remember that, that song, The Grand Illusion? You know, it's, it's just a grand illusion. Um, yeah, the whole world is an illusion. Now, you and I might, we might scoff at that because we're like, well, duh, of course it's not all an illusion. Like, I'm real, this is a real body, you're real. We accept all that. But, but we could be wrong. Could actually be wrong. There, there would be no way to prove that you're not a butterfly dreaming you're a human being or you're not in the matrix or you're not just really a brain being stimulated somewhere. You actually can't prove that. And uh, you might already be going, oh my God, we got a philosopher up here and he's going to talk for like half an hour. God help us. Please pray for me, actually. Actually, if you're thinking about praying for me, please do. Um, but I think it's worth, I'm bringing this up just to say, it's worth from time to time examining your worldview. The way that you look at the world, the way you look at life, the things that you assume are true. Because we all go about life assuming certain things are true, and we don't question. We don't, we don't even stop to ask the question like, why do I believe this? Why should I believe this? Is it actually true? And we go... We, we form these beliefs throughout our life for various reasons, and one of those is because we have authorities that, that we trust to tell us what is true. Because you can't, you can't figure everything out on your own, right? So, like, one authority is my experience. I experienced this, so this much must be true. That's how most of us live. But also we have other authorities. You know, I'm not going to hop in a shuttle and try and go 93 million miles out to see if that's how far away the sun is. I'm just going to trust an expert to tell me the truth about that. And we do that with all kinds of things. You're not going to figure it out on your own experience. You just simply trust the expertise of the pilot on the plane you're getting into. You trust the, the organizations that vet them and train them so that they would be able to get you where you need to go, right? We, we farm out our beliefs and our lives, in some sense, to authorities. And we do that with the Bible, and we do that with Christianity. We do that with Jesus. And even if you're a scientist, you do it with science, too. You vet, you, you not vet, but you, you place your faith in some kind of authority. And this is essentially what this sermon series is actually about. We're, we're going through a series called Theology and Community, where we're essentially saying, like, hey, how do we know that what we're doing here on Sunday morning, what we're practicing and what we're calling Christianity is what the founder, Jesus, what he had in mind. Do we believe what he believed? Or have we, like, over time, accumulated these accretions and we're believing that instead of the real Christianity? How do we know that? And so last week, Cameron got into the, the first, I guess you'd say, authority, way of doing theology in community, and that is Jesus. You know, if you, uh, I'm just going to assume and take it for granted, because last time Cameron talked about it, that if, if you believe that Jesus actually is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that Jesus is God in the flesh, then you, logically you must also believe that what he says is true, <laughs> that what he says is actually true. So we lean on Jesus as an authority to tell us what is true. Now there's another thing that we lean on to tell us what is true, and that is called the Bible the New Testament, and the Old Testament. And we have reasons why we do that. Of course, you could just simply believe it as sort of like the cultural inheritance that you were given. But there are also reasons to believe that, and that's essentially what I'm wanting to get into this morning. Why should we trust the Bible, right? Why not, why not the Quran? 
Why not the Vedas or the Bhagavad Gita or whatever sacred text it is? Why not Oprah? <laughs> you know, why not Marx? Why not anyone else? You know, a, a Twitter phenom. I don't know. Why the Bible? And so before I get started, I just want to, I just want to say a couple things, a couple dis disclaimers. Okay, first is what we talked about last time, Jesus. And we're talking about today, the Bible, in terms of how we come to understand the truth about God, which is what the pursuit of theology is. There's a unique authority to Jesus in the Bible that is, uh, that is not shared with the next two sermons to come, where we're going to talk about the creeds of history and the varying communities and different places in the world that practice Christianity and how we do theology and dialogue with them. Those are lesser authorities than Jesus in the Bible. We'll get into the reasons why that is. Second disclaimer I'm going to say is this is embarrassingly brief. Like in half an hour, 25, 30 minutes, I'm going to like make a case for why you should believe the Bible is scripture. That's almost embarrassing. So uh, I'm going to do what I can in that amount of time. But just so you know, there is so much, there are libraries that you could fill with the literature that's diving deeper into what I'm talking about. So if after I say this, you're like, well, I'm not convinced. <laughs> Um, please bear with me. I'm, I'm working for a half an hour here. Okay, so, and please come up to me afterwards. I can point you in the direction of some of those resources that'll help you out. Okay, enough with the disclaimers. Enough with that. Why should we believe the Bible? I'm going to take this in two, in two different waves, Old Testament and the New Testament. So, here we go. Why believe that the Old Testament is Scripture, is God's Word? Why should you believe that? Well, the first reason I'm going to give you, so if you're writing notes, you can just put the one down right now. First reason I'm going to give you is because Jesus thought that this was the Word of God. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe he's God in the flesh, and he says this is God's Word, well, then that, that should settle it right there. Um, but just, so you, just, just to make the case that this is what Jesus believes, I'm going to get into this really quick. So if, you're, if you have a Bible or you have a powered-on electronic thing, you better warm up those page-turning fingers or, or, or scrolling fingers. Because um, we're going we're gonna to go in different places. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spend as much time on the Old Testament as on the New, just so you know. So Jesus recognizes the, uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as Scripture. Okay? And, and when I say this, so I'm going to be referring to like, what Jesus says in the New Testament. And, and you might think, oh, well, this is really circular, right? Because you're saying the Bible is Scripture because the Bible says it. Well, actually, the New Testament is actually the primary sources for Jesus' life, for what he said and did. And if you go, to, you go to any research university and say, hey, I want to find out about Abraham Lincoln. I want to find out what he believed and what he, what he thought. They're going to direct you to the primary sources. That is what Abraham Lincoln himself wrote and what the people nearest to him wrote about him. So I'm not referring to the New Testament as scripture right now. I'm just talking about these as primary source material. To anyone, secular, Christian, anyone else would say, this is where you're going to get the best, most accurate information on what Jesus believed. Okay, so Jesus says over and over again in the New Testament. Now we're finally getting started. Jesus says over and over again in the New Testament. He'll say, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then he refers to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So clearly he's leaning on this as authority when he speaks. He also says, you've heard it said from those of old, and he quotes the Old Testament. He alludes to the Old Testament all over the place. Not only that, but he makes... He makes the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the, uh, the foundation, the touchstone when he gets into arguments with people. So a great example of this is in Matthew 19. You can go there if you want. I feel like I don't have time to read through it. But there, um, he's confronted with the issue of divorce. And there's a whole, there's a whole um, 
paradigm coming behind that. There's rival schools of thought, the Hillel school, the Shammai school, and they're trying to get Jesus to weigh in on one side or the other. And what Jesus does there is he says, oh, you want to know about divorce? Okay, well, do you not remember it says, he who made them from the beginning made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting the Bible. He doesn't say, oh, here, here's what I have to say. Or he doesn't say, this school says this, this school says this, I say this. He directs everyone back to the Bible. And he does this over and over again. To settle all kinds of arguments, he's using the Bible as the foundation stone. So there, first point. Jesus believed the Old Testament is Scripture. Second one. The apostles recognized that the Old Testament was Scripture. And you can see this very, very, very early on. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says there, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. And Paul there says, I pass on to you what I learned, which means he's quoting someone before him. Scholars have traced this all the way back to within a few years of the resurrection. So very, very early on, they're believing in Christ because of the Scriptures, the Old Testament. Okay, there's one. Uh, turn to Luke, Luke 24. Jesus is raised from the dead. He meets some of his disciples on the way, on this road called the road to Emmaus. They say, oh, we're, we're super bummed because there was this guy, we thought he was the Messiah, but he died. And Jesus says that in, in verse uh, 27 of chapter 24 of Luke, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets which is an expanded way of saying the Hebrew Bible. He, Jesus, interpreted to them, the disciples, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So there you have the, the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16, which is what uh, Lee read for you. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for all these various things. Breathed out by God, his very spirit, his very word. Or, here's an even better one, 2 Peter. 2 Peter's towards the back of your Bible, by the way. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Peter is writing about his experience on the mountain with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, where he literally hears the voice of God proclaiming who Jesus is. Right? Peter says this, 2 Peter 1, verse um, 16. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You recognize that story? We ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And check this out in verse 19. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So did, you, did you catch that? He says, even more sure than this experience I had of God speaking audibly in Jesus glowing, even more certain than that is the prophetic word, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. He goes on further, uh, down in verse uh, 21, he says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You catch that? He's explaining actually the method for how what we have as the Old Testament is the Word of God. Oh, Virginia, it's okay. Yeah. Um, 
He's explaining the method. The Holy Spirit actually carried people along so that they would speak for God. Their very words would be God's word. So I hope, you know, this might be just an, a, boring, a boring lecture to you right now. But I hope I'm actually making somewhat of a case for you. Okay, Jesus believed that the Hebrew Bible was God's word. The apostles, those closest to him, believed that the Old Testament is God's word. So if we can take them as authorities, we can take the Old Testament. Okay, now, you may not be convinced by that. That's okay. Come talk to me afterwards. I, I don't pretend that I'm going to convince everybody in such a brief amount of time. I just want to make sure that we establish the Old Testament is Scripture because over time, people who claim to be Christians and following Jesus have rejected it as Scripture. As early as the second century, a guy named Marcion, who, who cut out all the Old Testament and most of the New Testament, said, no, this is, this is the real Bible. So, the Old Testament is Scripture. Now, let's transition into the New Testament. Why, why should we think that the New Testament also is Scripture? Why should we believe that? Well, the first reason, I will say, is because Jesus recognizes his own words as coming from God. Did you know that? Remember how Jesus says, you've heard it said by those of old. He'll say that and then quote the Old Testament. And then he'll say, but I say to you, and he'll add something to it. As though, these are, as though his words are just right there next to, next to the Old Testament's words. He does that over and over again. Or in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record Jesus saying this. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Right there, he's, he's actually uh, shadowing in the background Isaiah 40, verse 8, which says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. He's, he's actually saying his words and the words of the scriptures are the same. They're the same word. Okay? How about this one? Book of John, chapter 12. Give you some time to, to go there, or you can just take my word for it, I guess. It's there. You can look at it later if you need to. John, chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus says this, For I have spoken... I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So he's saying, if you're not going to take me on my own authority, know this, I'm getting it straight from God. I'm getting it straight from God. It's on his authority that I'm saying this. So uh, you might say Jesus was wrong, but you can't say Jesus didn't believe that he was speaking for God. So what this means is, is the red, at least the red letters, okay? At least the red, the red letters are God's word, according to Jesus, at least, okay? Second argument. The, Jesus believed that the apostles' words were also going to be the words of God. Why do I say that? Just skip over a few pages to John chapter uh, 14. Jesus says this in verse 25. He's in a room with just him and his, his 12 closest apostles. Actually, there's only 11 at this point. Judas is gone. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Did you catch that? Did you notice the parallel between what Peter said about what's going on in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit carried people along and gave them 
God's word. Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen to you guys too. Okay, I'll just give you one more. Another page over, chapter 16. Verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. Remember, the things that he has to say are the words of God. Still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Do you notice that? Once again, Holy Spirit carrying them along. And he's also, so this is one of the reasons why Christians believe in the Trinity, because what he just said about the Holy Spirit, he had just said about himself. So how, how is it that he's referring to the Holy Spirit as though it's not him, but also he's saying what's true of the Holy Spirit is exactly true of him. So this is one of the reasons why Christians believe in the Trinity. Either way, that's only, that's only a sidelight. What he's saying is the words of God are going to be spoken by the apostles through the Holy Spirit, just as his words are the words of God, right? So Jesus recognizes his words as coming from God. Jesus recognizes the apostles' words as coming from God. Third thing I will say is that you can see this actually playing out in the Bible. The apostles believe each other's words are the word of God. Turn back to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 15. Peter is writing, he says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So Peter is referring to Paul's writings, right? Paul the Apostle's writings. He says this in the middle of of verse 16. There are some things in them, in those letters, that are hard to understand. Can anybody identify with that? Um, That are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You see what just happened there? Peter is saying there's actually two scriptures. There's the other scriptures, the Old Testament, and then there's Paul's writings. He's referring to them side by side. Paul's writings are scriptures. The apostles are recognizing that what Jesus said would happen is happening. It's actually happening. So, Jesus recognizes his own words, recognizes his disciples' words are going to be Scripture. Peter recognizes Paul's words as Scripture. Last one I'll just point out is that the next generation, the following generation, not apostles, recognize the apostles' words as Scripture. And you might think that's a weak argument, and, you know, maybe it is. There are plenty of other better ones that are argued by smarter people than me. Come talk to me afterwards. I'll point you to their books. But the reason why I'm bringing up the next generation recognized these as scriptures is because they are actually following the tradition of how the Old Testament was also recognized as scripture. And it essentially worked like this. There would be an event of revelation would happen. Say in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, if you do not repent, I am going to remove you from the land. But after a period of time, I will bring you back. Now, some people are like, well, okay, he claims this word is from God. I believe it. But that was not very many of them. Others were like, don't believe it. So what happens? They go into exile, and God brings them back, just like Jeremiah said. And so then they recognize he was speaking the words of God. So they go, what else did he say? 
What else was the word of God? So they start collecting together the things that he said. Either he himself wrote it or somebody else wrote down what he said. And they're like, this must be from God. And what's in there? Oh, he's talking about the writings of Moses, the Torah. Well, that must also be the word of God. So this is what's happening in the New Testament. They're recognizing Jesus coming himself was a revelation event. He spoke about the writings that were going to come after him through his apostles as though these are going to be revealing the words of God. And this is once again recognized by the community. And they weren't dumb. It's not as though they they just took anything anybody wrote. I mean, if you go back, I mean, uh, if you just pay attention, I don't know, I haven't watched the History Channel or anything like that in a while, but they used to always have this thing around Easter time. They're like, we just discovered secret gospels that were hidden by the church for ages. You know, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Thomas. And uh, if you know anything about church history, you're like, yeah, uh, they, they knew about that when it came out, actually. So, so the church knew about that like 1,800 years ago. So uh, secular world, you're, you're kind of the Johnny-come-lately on that one. But the church knew about these documents. So, for example, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Peter. They knew about these sources. And they all claim an apostle's name. So you would think, oh, it's an apostle. They must be speaking the words of God. But they knew that they weren't because they had criteria. They knew the difference between a primary source and a secondary source. So, for example, one of the, one of the, big, uh, one of the big issues, one of the big reasons why these other Gospels were denied as being Scripture. Now, the, the secular interpretation is like, well, the church was threatened by these like, minority Christianities, and so they squashed them and oppressed them. That's what they're going to tell you. But actually what really happened is like, hey, if someone came along and said, hey, your wife said, th- said this, and I was like, no, she didn't. She doesn't say that. Like, well, who, who knows better? The one who's married to her or someone else from some other country somewhere else who says, oh, yeah, you know, this is what he said. So they're, they're in the, the tradition of the apostles, and they, they recognize when they read. Uh, and I would, just, I would just recommend to you, if you're, um, if you're worried that the church was suppressing uh, early gospels, go back and read these. Go back and read the Gospel of Thomas. Go back and read the Gospel of Mary. And you will see they'd read nothing like the New Testament Gospels. Jesus is, is hardly even human. Jesus is a sage. All he does is teach. And he teaches these really, really weird things. Like, for example, I wrote this down. In the Gospel of Thomas, you're going to be saying, thank God the church suppressed this as Scripture, okay? Here's what it says in the Gospel of Thomas. Simon Peter said, Let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. That's pretty horrible. Um, let's just say Peter did say that. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, Lo, I shall lead her so that I make her a male, that she too may become a living spirit, resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself a male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank God that was, the church was like, Jesus never said that. <laughs> that but that is something that a Greek would say. Because the Greeks were following the traditions of Plato and Aristotle, who said there's like slaves and women. Slaves and women. Kind of like on the same very bottom status. Jesus was not like that. So the Jesus presented in these Gospels is not a Jewish Jesus at all. He's not even a human Jesus. They essentially deny the fact that he was human. And that's one of the reasons why they, um, why they rejected it. At bottom... These Gospels either reject the Old Testament, which is the Word of God, or they reject something taught in the New Testament, which is also the Word of God. So, just in sum, summarize. 
According to the primary sources we have about Jesus' life, he believed the Old Testament was Scripture. His apostles believed the Old Testament was Scripture. He believed that his words were the Word of God. He believed that his apostles' words would be the Word of God. They believed each other's words were the Word of God. And the community that followed them also recognized that all of this was speaking the Word of God. And so you might say, maybe Peter was on to something when he said the Holy Spirit was carrying along this whole process. So we as Christians believe, and I don't assume everybody hearing my voice is a Christian, we as Christians believe that God was actually involved in this entire process. That God actually spoke to people, and they spoke on God's behalf. That God used their minds and their personalities and their life experience to have them say words. And God also moved other people to record those words and to collect these things together, to edit them and bind them together. God also made people to recognize, to recognize the authority of those words. God was involved in the entire process, bringing to us what we call the scriptures. And uh, the amazing thing to me about all this is you might say, that is fantastical. That is just incredible. I don't know if I can, I can believe that. That's, that just seems bizarre. That's okay, fine. But isn't it amazing that you have dozens of people spanning thousands of years from various backgrounds and they all come around to say essentially the same central message, which is that humanity is in an enormous plight. We are messed up. We cannot save ourselves. That's what they're saying, cover to cover. We are doomed. And is that not your experience? Is that not your experience of life? Is that not why you're constantly feeling this gnaw, like I'm not good enough, I need to do more, or I'm not a good person and I know that I should be, or the world isn't the way that it ought to be? You know, if the Bible is true, the world would look exactly the way it looks. It would look exactly the way it looks. So it's amazing to me that you have these dozens of people from varying backgrounds and they all converge on this idea that humanity needs to be saved and that there is a savior from the Old Testament, there's a savior who is coming. And in the New Testament, there's a savior who's come. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? If you read the first chapter of John, when John the Baptist comes, these people come and they say, hey, are you the Christ? And he says, no. They say, are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. Well, then who are you? So why did they come asking him about this prophet, this Messiah, Elijah? Well, because it had been foretold. It had been foretold that one would come. A prophet like Moses, a prophet like Elijah, the Christ would come. So the Old Testament points forward to Jesus and the New Testament points backwards to him. It's all converging on this message that we need a Savior and that Jesus is it, that he has come, that he has suffered and died on our behalf so that you don't have to have this gnaw in your gut like I'm not okay. You could actually come to understand that there is a God who created everything in order to love everything he created in order to, to, to give himself to it in fellowship so that it could flourish and thrive. And that whole creation turned against him. And yet, because God is steadfast, like that song we just sang, because God is steadfast, his love is continuously penetrating, moving towards, moving towards, moving towards his rebellious creation, towards you and saying, I love you still. And he himself moved towards, became a human and died on your behalf so that you could live in acceptance. Even though you feel, even though you feel, I'm not adequate. I don't got it in myself. People don't have a reason to accept me. There are numerous reasons to reject me. 
And there's a God who says, because of the blood of Christ, you are accepted and you are loved. I receive you into fellowship. Turn to me. That's the central message of the Bible. Isn't it amazing that that's the message that comes out? Maybe it's from God. <laughs> Maybe it's from God. Now, I don't pretend, though. I don't pretend, though, that I've, that I've convinced everybody here. And I don't even pretend that, like, going through all this and making arguments is going to convince people because that's not, I'm not convinced that that's how people change their minds. People rarely change their minds purely on evidence. Usually the way it works is you already intuit or desire something so that you're actually open to the evidence. Or your, your heart is repelled by something. And so you will be closed off to any evidence. So I would just ask you, if you're hearing what I'm saying, and you're like, I'm not convinced, can't convince me. Do you not want this to be true? Do, do you not like suspect, like maybe there's a slight possibility that this is true? Maybe. What if it could be true? Would you be open to it? Would you be open to taking that step, taking that leap? I mean, what else, what else are you gonna do, right? I mean, you could, you could join the Marxist revolution, shed a lot of blood, maybe reach a utopia that hasn't been reached in a long time. Or you could hop on board naturalism and say, hey, you know what? All our feelings and intuitions are just nothing. We're just animals, grown-up germs, and someday we'll die and become worm food. That's exciting. Why would you want that? Okay? If you're going to be open to the evidence for that conclusion, why not be open to the evidence that this is actually true? that God actually loves you, and that the pain and suffering that you go through in this life is not only seen by someone who cares, but someone has entered into that pain to walk through it with you. Do you not want this to be true? I challenge you. Come to Jesus and say, I don't get this. I don't know if I believe you, but I at least want this to be true. If there's a chance, if there's a slight chance that this is true, I want it. I want to be in and you may not know what that costs. I don't know what that's going to cost you. It's going to cost you probably a lot. But you know what? You're going to lose everything anyway. We're all going to die and you're going to lose everything. So what do you got to lose? Come to Jesus right now and say, I don't know what to do, but I want to trust you. I want this to be true. And if you, if you do believe in Jesus, you might be hearing what I'm saying and you might be going, that's cool. All right. You know, that happens. That happens. The Bible calls that a hard heart. You see all that God has done. You see how great he is. And you're like, that's cool. I wonder what's going to be at that potluck. <laughs> you know? And this was, to be perfectly honest, this was me this week. I'm meditating on this passage. I'm, 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 I'm thinking about all these things, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's great. You know? And that might be you. You might be like, yeah, I've heard this a million times and I know it's true, so great. Well, if that's you, guess what? You're in the same boat as the person who's like, I'm desperate. Uh, I don't know anything about Jesus, but I hope this is true. You're in that same boat. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and say, look, I can't control my heart. I can't soften it up. I can't make it reflexive. I can't, I can't will myself into getting excited about this. You know, as excited as I am now, I was not this excited earlier on. You know, I, I get up here and you're like, oh man, he's always like that. I'm not, okay? <laughs> I'm just like the rest of you. Um, come to Jesus 
and say, Lord, I want you to animate me. I want you to turn me into that kind of person I know that I ought to be when I know I'm my best self, when I'm magnanimous and generous and loving and kind and gracious to the people around me that I know and love and even the people that I don't. When I'm like that, I'm my best self. And you know what? I'm almost never like that. But I would like to be. I know that's who I need to be. That's who I love to be. I love myself when I'm like that. Come to Jesus. Only he can do that. Only he can make you into that kind of person. So whether you know Jesus or not, come to him now. Come to him during the rest of our time together. And then stay around for the potluck and talk to each other about what's going on in your heart. Talk to each other about what God is doing. Talk to each other about whether your heart is hard or not, whether or not you believe this or not, whether or not you're going to go take Josh up and go get some of those other resources and find out if what he's saying is true. Talk to each other. Share this. If, if there's even a chance that this is true, Come on board. Come on board. All right. Let's pray.